So, I feel like somebody needs to hear this. Not sure exactly how to say what I'm hearing. So, last week I told you guys that Sandy bought me, like, the greatest Christmas present ever, right? Stargazing binoculars. How many of you have ever looked at the sky and seen, like, a black spot in the sky where there aren't any stars? You know what happens when you point stargazing binoculars at that black spot? You see a whole bunch of stars. And as we're singing this song, I, I, I keep coming back to the phrase, it changes what we see. The Holy Spirit changes what we see. Therefore, it changes what we seek. <laughs> so if I could preach on that for just a second. I think many of us need a change of perspective. See, I think sometimes we look at things in our lives and we see a black spot. And we think there's nothing there. Well, we need a pair of Jesus binoculars and see what's there. Because when we, when we change what we see, it changes what we seek. When, when, when we're seeing truth with our hearts, it changes what we seek. Y'all catching this? I'm just like shooting from the hip here, so I, I hope this is making sense. How many of you have ever, it is, how many of you have ever uh, shot a gun at a target? What'd you aim at? The target, right? So if the target's over here and I'm shoot, shooting and I'm aiming over here, what am I going to hit? Not the target. It's important that we know what we're shooting for. It's important that we know what we're seeking. If we're seeking the wrong things, we're going to keep getting the wrong things. The Holy Spirit changes what we see, changes what we seek. Father God, I pray that into existence over this congregation. (laughs) I pray that each one of us would have our spirit's eyes fixed on something new that you would change what we see, that we would see you and not our obstacles, that we would see you and not our lack of solutions, that we would see you and not our own strength to try to get through and muddle by. But we would see you, your power, your strength, your ways, your holiness, your awesomeness, and it would change what we seek. Because the more we see you, Lord, the more I believe we seek you. The hungrier hungrier we are for you, the hungrier we are for you. (laughs) And so, Lord, increase that hunger within us. Let us be a body of believers who seeks after you. (laughs) It's interesting when Sandy said, do do you want to change? You want to know what? Inside of me, instinctively, I said no. I mean, I'm not one that likes change. Not really. And I think sometimes that stops us up. We kind of, even when the normal stinks, it's the normal. And I know it. It's kind of my safety net. But by golly, when God changes what we see, and we see that the normal that we've been getting by with isn't really all that hot it changes what we seek and we're willing to accept change
Yeah. Anyways. Amen. Have a great Sunday. No. I think I'll preach now. So I was going to go on with our What We Believe series this morning, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. So He generally wins. So I thought with uh, Independence Day coming up in a couple days, we would do a, a message here on independence. So I'll read you something. See if you all can uh, recognize what this is. Okay? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. You all recognize that? What's that from? The Declaration of Independence. Written, signed, and enacted in 1776. The men that actually signed their names to that were taking their lives into their own hands. Had the war gone the other direction, those guys probably all would have been hung for treason. There's something about that, I think, that is pretty interesting. How often do we believe in a cause that much? How often are we willing to stake our lives on a cause that has that consequence? But these men believed in freedom. They believed in the right to independence. And because of that, a great nation was established. Down through generation after generation, our nation has worked hard at being independent. Worked hard at not needing to rely on anyone else. We're a nation of great resources. All kinds of things are are available to us. And that mindset is, is, is part of the individuals who make up our country, too. We've always had a pioneering, uh, pioneering mindset. The early settlers, the homesteaders, the farmers, the biz- business entrepreneurs, scientists, explorers, astronauts, you name it. Our country's full of enterprising, hardworking individuals. And this is great. We've become a nation that a lot of other nations have looked up to for a really long time. And I'm not here to disparage any of those accomplishments whatsoever. I'm not here to put our country down in any way, but what I'm going to say, some of you may not like. (laughs) But I fear that our independence, our independent way of life, our self-reliance, our lack of willingness to seek or accept help, is so strong and so prevalent that we've forgotten our source. How many of you have ever heard the, the phrase, if it's going to be, it's up to me? 
Anybody? Right? I think we've lived that out, and we've lived that out, and we've lived that out. But here's the deal. God created us to be in relationship with one another. He created us in such a way that we need one another. He didn't create us to be a bunch of individuals who are totally self-sufficient. It's not how He created us. I believe that self-reliance is actually quite contrary to God's created order. We need each other. So this morning I'd like us to look at an example of someone in Scripture who I've studied before, and I found him to be an interesting character. And he's someone that I believe from the very beginning of the story goes from one of complete independence to the end of the story of being complete, completely dependent. So, let's look at him. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So here we are, Nicodemus. His name means conqueror of the people. <laughs> I looked that up. It's amazing what Google will tell you, right? Conqueror of the people. He's a Pharisee. That means he's really into following the Jewish law. He's a member of the ruling council. And those, those guys at that time, they made all the decisions about life and practice in the Jewish community. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the highest court available at that time in the Jewish culture. So he was highly educated. He knew the law. He knew the ancient prophecies. He was responsible. He had a lot of status in his community. To put it mildly, Nicodemus was rich, wealthy, had a lot of money, had a lot of influence. Have you ever met someone like that in today's society? Have you ever met someone who's really, really wealthy? Really, really uh, influential within, his, within, the, within the community. If you were to meet someone like that or know someone like that, business owners, politicians, doctors, college professors, people, people that would be in the, the upper echelon of income, if we named them off and listed some adjectives, I'm going to say one of the adjectives about most of those people would be independent. Independently wealthy, independent, uh, you know, they make all the decisions, they're a leader, they're a boss, they're a... Does that make sense? Would, would you agree? I'm going to say a lot of them, you probably wouldn't look at them and say they're really dependent kind of people. Right? They're independent. Mostly. So Nicodemus, I'm guessing, was a pretty independent guy. If we were going to meet Nicodemus today, we'd probably describe him as a self-made man. So that's Nicodemus. Let's go on to the next verse. Uh, John 3, 2. Do you have verse 2? Nope. So here it is. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So here's another clue of Nicodemus's independence. Or maybe I should say his willingness to kind of create the illusion that he was independent. He came to see Jesus at night. He showed up to see Jesus when, when nobody else could really see him coming, right? So when Jesus walked into a city, you guys have heard me talk about this before, it's almost like Jesus was a rock star. 
You know, he'd show up in the city and thousands of people would come running. Hundreds of people would come running. As soon as Jesus showed up in the city, he would have this huge crowd of people around him. Why? Because people wanted something from him. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see him heal. They, they needed something from Jesus. So Nicodemus, he shows up at night. He really doesn't want people to know that he's there to see Jesus. He's got a reputation to protect. You know, it could be even he didn't want to offend anybody. You know, his other, his other Jewish leaders. But make no mistake about it. He was curious. He wanted to know about this Jesus guy. Something about Jesus drew him. I also find it interesting in that, those couple verses that he says this. We know that you are a teacher sent from God. The key word there is we. You know what that means to me? Those Jewish leaders were sitting around talking about Jesus. They're going, you know what? He's doing some stuff that only could happen if he came from God. So why didn't they all accept him? Why didn't they all come and, and come along with Nicodemus that night? My guess is they didn't want to accept the message that Jesus had. But it's kind of neat that they had been having this conversation. The religious leaders seemed to know. But only Nicodemus was bold enough to approach. (laughs) Pretty sure sure I saw Joel pinch him, but that's... Ah, yeah. Only Nicodemus was bold enough to come. So let's look at verse 3. Do we have verse 3? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's kind of interesting that Jesus kind of gets right into it here. You know, Nicodemus shows up. He says, Hey, we know you're, you're a teacher from God. And Jesus starts right in, right off the bat. So we get to verse 4 here. And it says this, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, Nicodemus, he's smart. He's educated. But he doesn't get it. He doesn't get what Jesus is saying here. Now we have to remember some things about Nicodemus. What Jesus was saying here about being born again, this is completely new ground for Nicodemus. Completely new for him. Because he's a good Jew. And a good Jew at that time believed the way to get to heaven was to follow the law and do sacrifices. Alright? So that was his paradigm. That's how he thought things happened. Right? What happened when things were sacrificed? They died. Right? (laughs) Life is life. Death is death. You live, you die. You have a sacrifice, it dies. Right? The Jews also believed in their heritage. They believed that just because they were descendants of Abraham, they already had new life. They were already going to heaven. They were different from everyone else. Not much change was required. So Jesus is talking about this rebirth stuff. And Nicodemus is going, what? What's rebirth? i got to be born again? How's that work? I don't get this. I mean, Nicodemus probably understood the idea of starting over right? Turning a new leaf, New Year's resolutions, although I don't think they did them back then. But but Jesus was talking about something deeper. Let's go on, verses 5 through 13. 
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How could this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. There's something we need to look at here. So Nicodemus still was struggling to understand. It's important to know that the Jewish law at that time was very well known. It was easy to see if you were violating the law. So if I had a list of rules for for behavior in the spring, 1 through 10, and one of you disobeyed it, and we looked at the list and saw, oh, yep, number 7, you disobeyed it. How easy would it be to disobey or to see if someone was disobeyed? It'd be pretty easy, right? When there's a list of rules, it's easy to define who's doing right, who's doing wrong, who's in and who's out. Right? Jeff, you didn't do number seven. Straighten up and fly fly right, boy. Come on. Right? Unfortunately, that's the attitude in a lot of modern churches. We like lists of rules. But here's the deal. We get way way more concerned about rule following than we do life change. We think that if we can get someone to change their behavior, it'll change their heart. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying here, if we change their heart, it'll change their behavior. Jesus is saying there has to be rebirth. There has to be new priorities, new motivations. And the behavior follows. They have to be accepted by faith first. But then that faith is proven by life change. Jesus said you believed one thing and you've relied on your own strength to keep the law. Now let me tell you something that's totally going to change your perspective. It's kind of neat that what Jesus does after this is he gives the plan of salvation. As pretty simple as it can possibly be done. If we look at verses 14 through 17. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus, the Son of Man, has to be lifted up, and those who believe in Him will live eternally. Why? Because we follow rules? Because we cross our T's and dot our I's? No. You want to know why those who believe on Jesus will have eternal life? One word. Love. Love. Radical, self-sacrificing, not condemning love. Salvation comes because of love. Comes through love. See, this was a whole new paradigm for Nicodemus. He thought salvation came from following the rules. He thought salvation came because he was in the bloodline of Abraham. 
And Jesus was telling him, no, salvation comes because God loves you. And when you accept me, the Son of Man, it changes everything. Now when we see the end of this exchange with Nicodemus, there isn't any kind of record that says there's a a huge conversion experience. Like this aha moment where Nicodemus was like, oh, okay, cool. It doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, we don't hear about Nicodemus for a while longer in the book of John. This independent, self-made man came to Jesus under the cover of darkness and it For all we know, he went on his way. But later on, we see something happening. In John chapter 7, Jesus is out and about teaching. And there's a lot of discussion going on about who Jesus is. Kind of these backdoor kind of conversations. Sidebar kind of conversations. And the religious leaders are are talking about it. And they were getting so upset with what Jesus was teaching that they sent the temple guards out to arrest Jesus. They came back empty-handed. And I think it's kind of hilarious what they say. If we look at John chapter 7, verses 45 and 46. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. It's funny to me because the Jewish leaders were so upset with Jesus that they sent the temple guards out. So the temple guards got out. They show up. They're standing in the back listening to Jesus. Decide to go back to the temple empty-handed. They're like, why didn't you bring him back? What's wrong with you? And they're like, are you kidding me? Have you heard this guy speak? Are you really listening to what he's saying? I mean, we're not going to arrest this guy. What he's saying is pretty good. Well, they got pretty mad at him. Mad at them. The religious leaders got pretty mad at him. If we look at 47 and 49. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. So basically they're saying, you're a bunch of uneducated. You, you don't know anything about what's being said. And you got a curse on you. So no wonder you, you, you're getting caught up in this. So they blast them. But then something interesting happens. Something really, really interesting happens. In verses 50 and 51, watch this. Nicodemus. Who is he now? Pharisee. Remember the Sanhedrin? Went to see Jesus under cover of darkness. Here we go. Nicodemus, who had gone to to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had been too ashamed to go see Jesus in the daylight. Here he is sitting with all his religious ruling buddies saying, hang on a second here. We've got to hear this guy out. We can't condemn him until we hear from him. He's now defending Jesus. Something was changing in Nicodemus. Something very powerful was happening within him. When we get to the end of the book of John, we see a story or part of a story that I think we have to look out really close to see the real change in Nicodemus. We kind of have to understand what's going on. If we go to John chapter 19, 38 to 42, this is 
after Jesus was crucified, and he was, his body was still on the cross, and um, this, this takes place. So later, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Well, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, here's where we've got to look a little deep. In those days, when the Romans crucified someone, generally speaking, they left the body there. They'd let wild animals eat it, They'd let it rot away to nothing. That was just their custom. And the reason why they did it was they wanted people to walk by and see that body and say, I don't want to be on that cross. It was a deterrent. However, they would make an exception if a family member or a friend wanted to take the body. Who came to take Jesus' body? Joseph and who? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. What's that say about Nicodemus at this point? It says that he brought a large amount of expensive spices. 75 pounds of those, ex- of those spices at that time was a huge amount of spices. A lot of money. They washed his body. They anointed it with oil. They wrapped it in spices and linens. This man who had been ashamed of Jesus had come to him under the cover of darkness, totally independent man, was now showing up and being seen in public, being identified with Jesus as his friend, willing to take his body and bury it with honor. Clearly unafraid of who might see him. In my opinion, this is a really clear example of a man who had been changed from when we encountered him the first time in John. I think the story of Nicodemus is a story of transformation. A man who truly lived an independent, I am where I am because of me kind of life to now a dependent follower of Jesus. At some point, I think Jesus, or at some point, I believe Nicodemus had heard the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think at some point, Nicodemus, no doubt, began to believe those words. He began to believe that his grit, will, and determination to follow the rules was not going to get him to heaven. But simply his dependence on Jesus was what was needed. So I've got a list of questions I want to ask you this morning. Number one, are you proud of your independence? Are you proud of what you can provide for you? Where you are in life? Number two. Are you not so proud of where you are in your life, but you're too ashamed to ask for help? Afraid to admit weakness? 
Number three, are you too bullheaded to admit that there's something you can't do? You see, I'll never forget, I can't even remember what we were doing, but I was trying and trying and trying to do something. And Sandy kept telling me that I needed help. And finally, I looked at her and said, man, I guess I am kind of hard-headed. And she goes, you think? It's like up until that point in my life, you know, 40-some years of my life, I didn't realize I was hard-headed. But I think sometimes we're too hard-headed to ask for help. We think, I'm just going to do this. I can do it. I can soldier through. I don't want to risk being vulnerable. Some things we can learn about Nicodemus. To be quite honest with you, and this isn't in any way disparaging anyone in this room, but I don't think there's anyone in this room who has the stature in our community that Nicodemus had in his. Nobody. And yet when he encountered Jesus, when he stopped for a moment to contemplate the truth, he realized the truth was dependence on Jesus, not independence, depending on himself. So this morning, I've got to ask you, are you independent? Are you ashamed of Jesus? You only admit to knowing him when you under the cover of darkness? You only admit to knowing him when you come into church? That'd be where Nicodemus was at the start. Are you a defender of Jesus? Do you know the rules and regulations, chapter and verse? You know where to look it up in the Bible and say, yeah, this is Jesus. Or are you the third step? Are you all in? Do you realize what it meant to Nicodemus when he showed up and took care of Jesus' body? I mean, it's at that point in time he risks everything. to be identified as a follower of Jesus in that setting meant Nicodemus was turning his back on everything else. And he was all in. So if you're not willing to be dependent on Jesus 100%, I gotta ask you, what in your life is worth holding on to that much? What do you have in your life that you're refusing to submit to him? These are hard questions. If we truly want to make a difference in Chambersburg, we've got to be sold out. We've got to be all in. Because if you're counting on me to do it all, it ain't going to happen. The way the spring makes a difference in our city is when we do it. And that takes us being dependent on him totally. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the story of Nicodemus. Lord, I pray that we would put away our stubborn tendencies to be independent. That we would not take up independence as a badge of honor. That we would not look down and disparage those who are dependent. Lord, I pray that we would learn to be dependent on you. Back to what we started this service with. We need you to change what we see. We need you to be our leader. 
We need You to be our source. You to be our strength. Lord, I pray that our dependence in You would grow each day. That our independence would weaken every day. We'd learn to rely on You. Lord, I pray that we as a body would learn to rely on each other. That we wouldn't be too ashamed to ask for help. Pray that we would be quick to offer help when we see the need. That we would become a dependent culture here. Where we depend on You. We depend on each other. Thank You, Lord. And Lord, I think I need to go on and say thank you that we live in a country that we live in. That those men all those years ago who took that chance and signed that piece of paper. Lord, I pray for the freedoms that we have in our country that they would continue to be. That we would continue to be able to declare your name freely. Lord, I pray we wouldn't take that for granted. I pray that we would really take advantage of the fact that we do have the freedom to name your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, on July 4th, I'd love us to declare our dependence, not our independence. Our dependence on Jesus. So be thinking about that this week as our country celebrates July 4th. Have a great Sunday.